Well, today we're back in our short series called Our New Life in Christ. We've been meditating together on Romans 6. And last week we saw how believing that Jesus is Lord is the basic truth of Christianity. When we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe that God raised him from the dead, he saves us. Which includes giving us a new standing with God. We are justified by faith. God declares us righteous. But that's not all that happens when we believe. Our salvation also includes a new power for a new lifestyle of righteousness. That is called sanctification. Sanctification is that process where God restores our humanity and sanity by making us like Christ as his image bearers. This process is progressive and it takes place by God's grace as his spirit works in us. Justification leads to sanctification. And growing in the Christian life or growing in sanctification is a battle for the basics. To bring all of me under submission to Christ who is all for me. To live under Jesus who is the Lord of my life and is my very life. Which means I'll bring my thoughts, actions, habits, words, deeds under obedience to him. This includes putting sin in its place. Exercising control over it, not giving it an opportunity to exercise control over us. This is what walking in newness of life is all about. And this is the movement from Romans 5 to Romans 6. Jesus, our Lord, justifies and sanctifies us. He saves us from the guilt of sin and from the enslaving power of sin as well. And as we saw last week in Romans 6, verses 1 to 11, being united to Jesus by faith is the foundation of our new life in Christ. This is the key to experience experiencing both justification and sanctification, to be in Christ, to be united to him by faith, to have a new status and a new life under the lordship of Christ, we must be united to him. As Richard Hayes says, to be in Christ then is to enter the sphere of his lordship and thereby to be enlisted on his side in the war against the enslaving power of sin. We can live a life that pleases God only as we make use of the benefits of our union with Christ. And union with Christ, our Lord, is covenantal and relational language. You see, it is a a multidimensional truth in the New Testament. And the New Testament provides many pictures for us of union with Christ. At times, it refers to the church being united to Christ, her husband. It also refers to the union between a vine and its branches, He is the true vine, we are the branches, we live through our abiding connection with him. And in Romans 6, we saw last week both the picture of baptism, and this week we're going to see the picture of the relationship between servants and their Lord, or more to the text, slaves to their masters. There is a connection between the two. We, as those who are believers in Christ, were transferred out of the slave market of sin under that cruel master of sin in Adam, into a slavery to righteousness and God in Christ. Which means we are free not to live for ourselves, but to live for the Lord who has purchased us. And while we live on this earth, in the presence of sin, in this body, we don't have to sin anymore. 
Um, We may feel the power and the pull of sin is too strong for us, but in Christ we can overcome. He is our ruling master now, and we're to live as his slaves. Released from the controlling power of sin, we are free to live under the controlling power of him. Remember, Jesus told us, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And I think what is said of money here can also be said of sin. You cannot serve God and sin. You will either hate sin and love God or vice versa. In the Christian life, we can't have our cake and eat it too. No one can serve two masters. And a part of what this means is exercising rule or uh, control over sin as his image bearers. We saw this dominion language last week. And in the Christian's life, this especially means that we do not let sin take control over our lives. We must identify sin as a threat to our growth in sanctification and our intimacy with our Lord. And growing in sanctification means that we apply and activate the power of the gospel over the power of our sin. And we do this by faith. God's Spirit gives us the power to tame and master the beast of sin in our lives as we believe and obey God's truth. Remember we saw that God told Cain back in Genesis 4, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So as we believers live under the lordship of Jesus, we are to exercise lordship over sin under him. Though it may sound awkward to say this, as his image bearers, our task as Christians who reflect or image God is to conquer and exercise lordship over sin in our lives by the power of the Spirit. As death no longer rules or has dominion over the risen Christ, so Romans 6.14 says, sin will have no dominion over you who are in Christ. Through the power of the gospel of grace, we shall conquer even the power of sin. So today we're going to look at Romans 6, verses 12 to 23. And here we're going to move from theology to, uh, to practice, from thought to action. So if you'd like to turn with me to page 943 of the Bibles in front of you, Romans 6, we're going to look at 12 to 23, finish, finish the chapter today. We're moving from thought to action. We're moving from the indicative to the imperative. We're moving from what God says is true of us in verses 1 to 11 to what we must do now with that truth. This is a so what text for the Christian life. It answers the question, how is your life different now that you believe that Jesus is Lord? And this is an important question because it's so easy to think about the gospel and the Christian life in abstract and impersonal terms, isn't it? But today our text is going to force us to get personal with the gospel, with our life, and with our sin. In fact, it gets so personal that it speaks about how we use our very bodies and our body parts even. We'll see that though the Christian life is a spiritual battle... This battle is fought every day in the decisions we make about how we will use our bodies. So let's see for ourselves what this looks like as we read from Romans 6, verse 12 to 23 together. It says here, 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you, who were once slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death." But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That text is a feast for the Christian life, isn't it? Now, as we can see, this text is filled with contrasts. And we saw this last week as well. And one of these contrasts that we see is that we used to live in the body of sin where each day we lived our lives obeying the controlling power of our body's sinful desires and impulses. We used to just do what our body told us to do. Now this led to habits, which led to addictions, but the gospel that we believe has given us a new life and a new power and a new way of living our lives in our bodies. Now that we're Christians, we're to live in our bodies in brand new ways. How might the things I touch, watch, say, and listen to glorify God? How might I conquer sin in uh, the things in the areas where I've been enslaved and addicted to for years? How do I make sense of my entrenched habits of sin? My impulse is to go there. What is the difference between life-dominating sin and the sin that trips us up? What, are, what am I responsible to do once I believe the gospel is true? What should I do when I'm tempted to sin? Now, these are some of the tensions we face in the Christian life, aren't they? And these are some of the tensions Paul addresses in Romans chapter 6. Listen to how Tom Schreiner summarizes this chapter. He says, the tension surfaces here between what God has already accomplished and the responsibility of his people to obey. They are still tempted by desires to sin and must not let those desires gain control. Each day they must give themselves afresh to God. So how do we keep track of how we're progressing in the Christian life? It's very easy to think that our knowledge of truth or ministry accomplishments or length of time in a position is indicative that I'm maturing. But that is far from what we see in Romans 6. I must consider today how I'm living today and whether I'm living in obedience to Jesus as Lord today. 
I must present myself afresh to him every day. Given the constant threat of my sin in my life and my body, I must not rest on my knowledge of truth, my past ministry accomplishments, or spiritual victories. I should rest in Christ's grace by faith every day. For he is my righteousness and he leads me in righteousness. So I shouldn't rest on my reputation or my laurels thinking that God will grant me amnesty from obedience because I've been a Christian for a long time or I've done a lot in the name of Christ. No, maturity is marked by our heart's posture towards the Lord and our hearts are revealed by how we use our bodies for him. So today we'll we'll think about how we might give ourselves afresh to him. In Romans 6, we're going to see that true believers have been released from the slavery of sin to become slaves of righteousness and of God in Christ the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for what the gospel is doing in our hearts. And we pray that the gospel of grace would release people from the bondage of sin even today if they are living in sin, entrenched in patterns that have gone back many years, that they would be free through Christ our Lord. We pray that your spirit would guide us into deeper knowledge of who you are and to deeper intimacy of who you are, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we see in this text is that true believers will not live under the dominion of sin but grace in Christ the Lord. Look at verse 12. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. So verse 12, we might paraphrase this verse by saying, don't let sin's power, which leads you to obey its passions, control your lives. It will pull you down. It will inevitably trip you up. So don't play with it. Christian, we must consider if we have let our guard down with sin in our lives. We must not play with it. It will trip us up. Okay, thanks. But how? Look at verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for, un, or for righteousness. So again, there's contrasts here, right? Here's how our faith leads to action. We are to think of our members or our body parts as instruments, uh, not for doing sinful, unrighteous deeds, we're not to think of them uh, of, as uh, weapons like we used to use them, as weapons for sinful deeds. But we are to present our whole selves, including our body parts, to God as those who are new creatures, having been brought from death to life. We are to give our whole selves as an offering to God. All of us, including our body parts, are meant to be used as instruments for righteousness in service to God. In other words, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. So let's start by getting practical here. As you think of your life before Christ, can you think of yourself for a moment? Think back before you were converted, okay? 
If you can, do you remember how you used to use your body? How you used to use it as a weapon for sinning? Maybe you used your body to sleep around with multiple partners. Maybe you used your tongue to cuss like a sailor and curse your neighbors. Maybe you used your hands to sell or do drugs. Maybe you used your mind to think of perverse things to do with your time. That's what you did before Christ. That was you living as a spiritually blind and dead person under the ruling power and dominion of sin. But in Christ, you've been brought from death to life. And now that you're, under, now that you're not under the ruling power of sin anymore, consider the ways you might use these same members or body parts as instruments for righteousness. Now you can use your hands to help build something for a friend. Now you can use your body to sit and be present with someone at a hospital. Now you can use your mouth to sing praises to the Lord and to bless your neighbor. Now you can use your body parts as instruments for righteousness. Now how is such a, li- a new lifestyle even possible? As verse 14 says, For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. This is not a command, but a promise that sin will not win in the Christian's life. We are not powerless to change. Sin no longer has dominion over us, since we are not under law, but under grace now. More on the law in a moment. So God's grace empowers us to live in the ways that God commands us to live. And the Holy Spirit accompanies us to live in such a new and holy way. He has given us new hearts so we have new habits now. I don't live to obey my body's impulses to sin anymore. I live dedicated to obey Christ now, body and soul. He is my Lord and my Master. This is what it looks like to live under grace. Grace compels me to believe and obey my Lord. As Doug Moo says, Paul insists that even under grace, there are obligations of obedience that must be taken seriously. For as Paul makes clear, there is no such thing as human autonomy, a freedom from all outside powers and influences. Either people are under the power of sin or they are under the power of God. The question is not then whether one will have a master, but which master one will serve. Serving sin, Paul shows, leads to death. Serving God to life. So sin in this verse, in verse 14, is referred to as a personified power here. Not an abstraction. Sin will have no dominion over you. It's as though it has a life of its own, isn't it? Remember again what God told Cain. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. You must put it in submission to you. Like a wild beast, it must be tamed. So this means we have an active part to play in our battle with sin, right? The way to victory is not passivity. It is activity based on our union with Christ. As Luther's note on this verse said, sin will not have dominion over you unless you want it to. What an insightful note. If sin takes control over the believer, this indicates that they've let their guard down and they've let it in. 
They have stopped putting it in under submission. This means we need to do something with our sin, doesn't it? By faith, yes. Based on grace, yes. But you get involved in your sanctification. Armed with the truth that we're dead to sin and alive to God in Christ, we cannot let sin slide in our lives anymore. We need to get intentional about overcoming it. We must take our thoughts and deeds and bring them under control by obedience to the Lord. So how about you? Do your daily habits reflect obedience to Christ? Moving ever so slowly, maybe, but in the direction of obedience. Are you obeying him with your body and soul? This is where our allegiance to Jesus as Lord is practiced and proven. The next thing we see in this text is that true believers have become slaves to righteousness in Christ the Lord. All right, look at verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. We've seen Paul uses this rhetorical questioning throughout the book of Romans, and he's using it again here. And I think he mentions the law here because a common objection to the message of grace is that it leads to a life of sin or lawlessness, right? Maybe you've heard this before. In other words, to emphasize grace so much may lead people to live as though they have a license to sin now. If the law... Uh, if neither the law, sorry, nor sin rules a believer in Christ, then what does? They're just living lawlessly now with, with nothing keeping them in check? This is how the logic goes. Don't we need then to insist on keeping the law to keep people from sinning? I think if we conclude that since we aren't ruled by the law, we're free to sin, we've misunderstood the gospel of grace. And here's why. The law never actually kept us from sinning, did it? It actually exposed our sin, didn't it? The law held us captive under the power of sin, and we saw that we can't keep it or do it. The law was meant to show us our flaws and lead us to Christ who kept the law and fulfilled the law for us and for our salvation. As Galatians 3 uh, says, Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. So the gospel is a message of grace that we activate not by doing, but by believing. And the power of grace that saved us from sin saves us still from a lifestyle of sinning. So we live under grace, not under law. And grace rules and governs our lives now. But this doesn't lead us into sin. That would be a misunderstanding of what grace is about. It leads us to a lifestyle of righteousness, like Christness. And we'll see how this works as we continue in verse 16. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, 
either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So our habits reveal our hearts. What we do and who we obey um, shows up in our activities. Our theological commitments, we might even say, show up in our real-life actions. Since Christians are free from sin and sinning, it, in the sense that we, we have the power to say no to sin, it would be absurd to think that now we are free to obey sin. That's not where we belong anymore. We're now free to obey God and his word and resist sin. Here's another taste of freedom, freedom according to the Bible. We cannot serve two masters. The one we obey is the one we're enslaved to. So, Tom Schreiner says, moral, de moral decisions still matter for Christians. Giving in to sin results in people increasingly becoming obedient slaves to sin. This kind of activity eventually leads to death, not implying that genuine believers can actually lose their salvation, but that sinning leads them in that direction, away from full enjoyment of life with Christ. Yeah, sin hooks us, doesn't it? We get addicted to it. It sticks to us. It catches on to us. Like Velcro, it sticks on. And we, as believers, are meant to put it in its place. Stay away from it by God's grace. Jesus said the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came to give us life abundant and life eternal. So consider your heart loyalties today. What does this say about you? Who do you obey? Are you living to obey sin or righteousness? The old man in Adam or the new man in Christ? Look at verse 17. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So this is encouraging and hopeful for us who have believed in Christ. What it says here is not that we must obey but that we have obeyed the teaching from the heart. And the teaching that we obeyed from the heart is a teaching that was committed to us. Or rather, that we were committed to, which is interesting wording. This is a snapshot of what happened to us when we believed. We became, as verse 17 said, obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching which we were committed. Listen to how Doug Mood explains this. So it is not the teaching that is handed down to believers, but the believers who are handed over to the teaching. This unusual way of putting the matter is intentional. Paul wants to make clear that becoming a Christian means being placed under the authority of Christian teaching, that expression of God's will for New Testament believers. The new convert's obedience to this teaching is the outgrowth of God's action in handing us over to that teaching when we were converted. So stay with me here for a second. So here's the answer to the question we were asking in verse 15, okay? Remember we asked there, if the law and sin doesn't rule and govern us, what does rule and govern the Christian? If we're under grace, what rules us? What governs us? The answer is the Bible's teaching, or in these specific words, the standard of teaching from verse 17. 
when we're converted, we're committed to the Bible's teaching. We come under its authority. Our heart obeys the word that we now love. It's a mark of the new covenant. It's the mark of a convert that we desire to obey God's word now. We love it. And when grace takes root in my heart, obedience to God's standard of teaching is the fruit in my life. This is a mark that I've been effectively transferred from being a slave to sin to being a slave to righteousness. I obey the Lord whom I love. I obey his word because I love him and I love his word. I live under his grace, so I live under the authority of his gracious word. I am my best self when I'm walking with God in obedience to his word. Isn't this true of you? Haven't you experienced this? To live in obedience to God's word, that's your happy place, Christian. That's my happy place. God's grace rules me as his spirit leads me into hearty obedience to Jesus, my Lord's commands. Heart obedience to God's word is a good gauge that I've received a new heart. As Ezekiel 36 says, a promise for God's people, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Yes. But this isn't drudgery or misery at all. The Christian's life is, 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 is brought with, with colors and vitality when we live in obedience to him. It's not drudgery or misery because of all the things we can't do now that we're Christians. No, our new life in Christ is grounded by our union with him and marked by obedience to him because our heart has changed. We love to obey God's word now. We see God's command not as a burden, but as the way into growing in maturity, in wisdom, in righteousness, and sanctification. Paul continues in verse 19 saying, I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Again, more contrasts for us. Our actions lead to habits. So we believers should use our body parts as instruments of righteousness, using the same energy and dedication that we once used for sin. Maybe we ran headlong after sin. Now in Christ, things are changed. If we used to use our bodies for impurity and sin, we know that that led us to more sin in our lives and shame. But now we're to present ourselves to God using the same body parts in actions of righteousness, which leads to sanctification, Christ-likeness, restoring our humanity, making us image God. Sin's reign leads us to obey our body's sinful passions, doesn't it? But the reign of grace leads us to obey his word with our body's new passions. Before you believed that Jesus is Lord, you didn't love his word like you do now, right? This has changed. This is how we exercise dominion over sin. We conquer by faith in Christ. That leads us to overcome the sin in our lives. 
So we need to consider, do some uh, self-examination. We need to consider the areas where sin has run amok in our lives and warn us into submission. We need to change our thinking when it comes to sin and realize that in Christ we do not have to sin. We must deliberately say no to our sinful impulses, though we may have habitually been entrenched in them for years. So consider your daily habits now. How do you use your body each morning, each day, each evening? Is it evident by your use of your body that you are a slave to righteousness? Where are your daily habits leading you? Are they leading you into lawlessness and more lawlessness, more sin, or are they leading you deeper and further in sanctification, holiness? The next thing we see in this chapter is that true believers have become slaves to God in Christ the Lord. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Once again, another contrast to what life was like before we came to Christ. This is a description of the pre-Christian me and the pre-Christian you. We used to live in such a way that we were free from the influences and desires to please God from the heart. We were free in regard to righteousness in this sense. In the sense that we, we, we didn't want to please God and uh, we lived that way. There was no impulse in us to please God. And we've seen that a mark of a true believer is that now they want to please him from the heart. But before Christ saved us, we didn't care to please him. And we were unable to please him. But that way of life, though some may call it freedom, we recognize it not as freedom, but as bondage. As verse 21 says, But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. As we look back at the things we practice with our bodies in the darkness of our sinful habits and lives, we know that the fruit of that so-called freedom brings shame, slavery, and ultimately ends with death, right? No matter how cool we try to make sin look or speak of sin to try to make it look not so much of a big deal, it always brings destruction into people's lives, doesn't it? We cannot escape it. We will reap what we sow, and if we sow to the flesh, and if we sow to sin, we will reap a harvest of death in our lives. The fruit of sin, for example, a couple examples of the fruit of sin would be moral failure, murder, strife, there's so many more. This is where sin takes us, ultimately leading us straight to death. We know this too well as we look at our life, and as the life of our loved ones, and of those around us. So what are we to do? Look at verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now Doug Moo comments on this, says, We can and must serve righteousness because God has freed us from sin and made us slaves to righteousness. The imperative grows out of and reflects the indicative. So here we see that we have been set free from slavery to sin to become slaves of God. This transfer is so comprehensive that God leads us in our sanctification to our ultimate freedom, which is eternal life. 
As he leads us, he is untwisting us from the grip of sin, the warping effects of sin, and the power of sin. And one day we will be completely free from the presence of sin in a glorified body. The language of verse 22 is, uh, of leading in verse 22 reminds us that the ever-present Lord leads us in sanctification as well as leading us through to eternal life. The Lord who is the good shepherd, who loves and lays down his life for his sheep, leads us in green pastures and beside still waters to restore our souls for his name's sake. All right, as we turn a corner here, we're going to get personal as we come to verse 23. Look at this verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So these words show us that right now counts forever. What we do with Jesus here and now, and if we live for him, are matters of eternal consequence. So now would be a good time to get personal with this text. Verse 23 brings us to a fork in the road, showing us the two destinies for mankind. The contrast comes down to whom we belong to and whom we serve. In Adam, people live under the power of sin, which leads to eternal death in hell. In Christ, people will live under the power of grace, which leads us to eternal life in the new heavens and new earth. And in verse 23, the word wages refers to money paid for services rendered. A fitting analogy, considering we've been talking this whole passage about uh, the idea of slaves serving masters, right, in Romans 6. Paul seems to be picturing sin as a commanding general in the army paying a wage to its soldiers. Thus, the paycheck, friends, for a life of serving sin is an eternal death in hell. Not something to take lightly. A serious consequence of living in rebellion to God under the control of, lord, of the lordship of sin. Tom Schreiner again says, Wages implies that the punishment for sin is what one has earned and what one deserves. Free gift is the opposite of something one deserves, which fits Paul's earlier emphasis on justification by grace alone. So note the contrasts. Wages are what you earned. Free gift is what you freely received. So getting personal here, slowing right down. Let's think for ourselves. If we were to die today, what would we be receiving before God's judgment? The wage of sin, which is death, that we deserve, or the free gift of eternal life in Christ our Lord. These are the only two options for humanity. No one can serve two masters. So choose this day whom you will serve. All right. More questions for you. Do you believe in the basic truth of Christianity? That Jesus is Lord. That he died for your sin and rose again so that you could walk in newness of life. If you don't yet know where you're at with God, 
please come talk to someone before you leave. These sturdy truths can support your very soul. So throw yourself on Jesus and his grace before it's too late. These truths are strong enough to hold you up from the moment you first believe into eternity. Now for us believers, as we look at this verse, as we look at this passage, let's remember there was once a time when it could be rightly said of us that we lived under the domain and power of sin. We were living for sin, running headlong into the fire of God's judgment, but God in his great grace reached out to us, plucked us from the fire, saved us from what we deserved, and gave us what we don't deserve. Pardon, freedom from the power of sin, eternal life, which is a restored relationship with God, grace upon grace upon grace. All of this in Christ our Lord. Praise God, there's still hope for humanity in Jesus. Now, in closing, I want to remind you, I began this series with a few pastoral questions. Here's what they were. Is it possible to be a Christian as defined by the Bible and to live in such a way that you are comfortable in habitual patterns of sin? Is it possible for Jesus to have saved you but not changed your life? Is it possible for Jesus to be your Savior but not your Lord. And I hope you've seen for yourselves the, answer, the answers to these questions in Romans 6, which teaches that if Jesus saved you as your Lord, he will sanctify you as your Lord too. Though true Christians do indeed sin and they live in a world and a body that is threatened and tempted by sin, we are no longer slaves to sin but slaves to righteousness and God now, which means our life has changed. And that means we must apply the basic truth that Jesus is Lord to our lives and all the areas of our lives daily. He has both saved us and changed our life. He is both our Lord and Savior. And I hope that through this series you've seen that Romans 6 is a treasure trove on sanctification, and the Christian life. So, in closing, I commend this chapter to you for a lifetime of learning and living under the lordship of our good Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for the clarity of your word, which tells us time and time again that your grace is enough. That by faith in you, life can change. And I pray for those who are right now burdened by their sin, feeling the weight of it in their lives and the power of it. I pray that they would come out from under its power, under the good salvation and lordship of Jesus Christ. Pray that your spirit would work in us all here by the word and that, Lord, we would just really see the, the work of your spirit in this church as we grow in our sanctification. In Jesus' name.
Let us stand together to sing this final song. <laughs>